Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Clay Allen. Thanks for being on the show, Clay. Thank you, Whitney. I've listened to your podcast a number of times, continue to do so, and gotten a lot of value out of it. It's a real pleasure. Uh, thank you for that. Appreciate you listening. And everybody that's listening right now, I just want to say thank you. Again, can't say that enough uh, just to the listeners and your support. Hope you are learning learning and your business is growing because of the guests and the interviews you know that we're completing and uh, but a little about clay he has over 20 years of experience providing debt equity and asset management for multifamily owners and operators based in the Atlanta office of old capital clay is focused on helping investors across the southeast obtain appropriate financing for their multifamily acquisition he also likes to leverage his experience to provide his clients sound feedback on their underwriting assumptions, as well as provide asset management advice after the close. So, you know, I got to meet Clay recently just on the phone. I knew he'd be a great guest on our show. He has tons of amazing experience. So we could all benefit from, no doubt about it. But what's interesting is he have lots, he has lots of experience in underwriting and lending, but also a lot of experience in asset management. And I think that's a neat piece to bring to the lender side. And we're going to hear more about that today. But Clay, give us a little more about you, know, you your background. And let's jump into just the current lending environment, which so many listening you know, are going to wonder about what that means for their current deals or deals that they're looking at. But then also just for us to lean on your asset management experience as well, especially from the lender's perspective. I look forward to hearing about that. But let's jump in. Yeah, sure thing. First, a little bit about me, and I'll keep it brief. Born and raised in Georgia, South, Middle, and North Georgia, so I've covered the whole state at this point. Went to Sanford University in Birmingham, Alabama, and I came back in 2001 to Atlanta and really been in the commercial real estate field my entire career. And to sum it up, it's nine years with traditional banks and construction lending and bridge lending, nine years with GE Capital, and that would be joint venture equity that we provided to owner-operators. It was also a little bit of asset management from an institutional perspective, and then also did some underwriting for Bridge and CMBS towards the latter part of my time at GE Capital. Spent the last five years, when I say the last five years, up until August of 2020 as an asset manager for multifamily, two different large GPs, uh, covered really the Southeast, larger Southeast markets, but went as far North as, as Chicago and Boston for a brief period of time. So have a, a lot of experience in different markets and onboarding assets. I would say as far as real estate goes, I told you I've been in real estate my entire career. I kind of married myself to it by getting a master's of science in real estate and a CCIM. So I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stick in real estate for the entirety of my career. And uh, just, again, glad to be here with you. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, and I appreciate you sharing that, Clay. And uh, so let's just jump into the you know current lending environment. I know that's changed some over the last year, you know, as most of the listeners have heard us talk about many times, but it's interesting talking to just someone like yourself who, you know, is on that side of the table and been through, you know, through the last 10 or 8, 10, 12 months and, uh, you know, just hearing your perspective and then, you know, what's happening right now as well. Maybe you can give us just a brief overview of the last six months and then what's now and then we'll obviously go to what you expect. Sure. I mean, I guess, you know, looking back in March and April of 2020, there was a little bit of a shock, right? We were all kind of looking around at each other saying, what's next? What's going to happen in the lending environment? And 
Fannie and Freddie, the agencies really did their job in providing that liquidity to the market. That continues to be the case today. They released their caps for 2021, $70 billion each for each. So that's plenty of loan dollars to go around this year, which is great news. So that's great. We're seeing a little bit of thawing out, if you will, with some of the other lenders, some of the non-recourse bridge lenders who went silent shortly after COVID are slowly coming back, still not nearly as many that are in the market. But uh, we also have traditional banks that, you know, I've talked to a number of traditional banks between North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida thus far. And there's still some that are a little bit pensive that kind of want to put their toe back in the water with really experienced operators and their existing clients. But most are very responsive and in quoting deals for us. So that's encouraging. Okay. So, you know, what about, you know, let's dive into just, I mean, right now, if we're financing a loan, some things we should expect to see or questions maybe from you as we're having that conversation about our next acquisition. What are some things that we're going to talk about today that we wouldn't have talked about, you know, six months ago, or especially a year ago, but, you know, even what's new today that we should expect to have to know about when we're on the phone with you? Yeah, I'd have to go back to, you know, say, 12 months ago to a year ago to answer that question because debt service reserves and experience are the two things that really bubble up to mind. And when I say that, that's really with the agencies, so Fannie and Freddie. Both Fannie and Freddie are requiring uh, debt service reserves. I think everyone's well aware of that by now. Freddie Mac is upwards of 12 months. Fannie Mae is also 9 to 12 months, but uh, if you're doing small balances, as high as 18 months. So uh, still a big check to write at the closing. You know, right now the question is, when will that get released? And the answer really still is basically 90 days after all the emergency declarations are lifted by the state and, and federal government. So, or there's a test for each Fannie and Freddie that you can pass and they'll release those reserves back to you if those declarations are still intact. So, you know, when those go away or when those start to loosen up is a big question, but looking forward to those going away. The experience piece is probably something that was not quite as ardent 12 months ago as it is today. And what I mean by that, and sticking with agencies again, with Freddie Mac, they're really looking for a pretty formulaic, experienced model, if you will. They want to see three assets owned by a key principal, one of which is two years or longer, currently two years or longer. So they want to have current experience. Now, there are situations where you can get a waiver with that. I wouldn't suggest kind of testing with, well, I've I've purchased one property. I'm ready to to buy this property. They probably want to see at least two properties and a really strong market, good operator, good third local third-party property management. But that is a case-by-case basis. Fannie Mae wants to see that experience as well, but is not so formulaic. They don't lay out a formula. The, The dust lenders for Fannie Mae are a little bit on their own on that, and they make a judgment call. But I would go in, if I, you know your listeners, for the benefit of them, I would go in with the understanding that both Fannie and Freddie want to see some experience on your team. Now, how much of that is new? I mean, you know, for right now versus, say, a year ago, I mean, the three assets owned by the principal two years or longer, you know, is that new, you know, say in the last few months? Is that this year or has it always been that way? Yeah. So, you know, I wasn't with Old Capital back in 2019, but my understanding, I think it was third, fourth quarter of 2019 when things started to tighten up a little bit from the experience angle. But it's now it's, you know, let's say go back six to eight months ago, I believe August of 2020. That's when Fannie or Freddie started to really buckle down on that a little bit more and define it more with that formula I just, I just mentioned to you. So it's definitely still, uh, especially with the COVID counts as we record this as high as they are, 
and those eviction moratoriums extended through March 31. And it's likely that would extend again, is my guess. So you talked about, I wanted to go back to the, just the reserves a little bit, just the requirement that the lenders are having. You said 12 months, as high as 18 months. But you also mentioned, you know, like they can be released, they're not going to be released until, say, you just say 90 days after the government removes this emergency state. Is that right? That's correct. That's per definition. Again, you can have that released if you meet certain criteria. Fannie and Freddie are a little bit different in how they measure that, but there is opportunity to get that back. So most people understand that. And by the way, it hasn't slowed Fannie and Freddie down one bit. I mean, they are doing record volume still in the way of refis, but definitely the acquisition market is coming back and gaining steam. So, you know, they're not in a hurry to release these reserves. It's not like their business has fallen off because of them. So I think, you know, investors are going in knowing that there is, you know, it's a temporary thing. They're going to get it back probably within a 12-month period. And so they're understanding and forgetting of it. How have you seen sponsors, say, restructure their deals to allow for this reserve? You know, some are considering some of that reserve as future capital needs. So whereas a buyer goes in with a five-year plan, maybe a capital plan, knowing that they might have to replace a roof in year four or a pool deck, those types of capital items that are not required repairs by the lender that have to be done within 12 months, they're looking to that money to come back to them. So that's one thing. And that way you kind of avoid the extra capital raise and the extra, you know, perhaps you're paying to your investors. But I'm neither endorsing that nor uh, saying it's a bad strategy. It's just something I've seen. So let's talk a little bit about your asset management experience, but, you know, from the lender's perspective, and I think you could shed a lot of light there and helping the listener and myself just think through the asset management piece just from your experience. And then, but we'd love to hear, you know, really, you know, from the lender's seat now, what you like to see there, maybe that business plan, you know, and uh, successful operators and how they operate or how they manage those assets. Yeah. So it, it was interesting when I, so I gave you my history. I went from lending capital markets to asset management. Now I'm back in the lending field. My eyes were opened when I became an asset manager because I was working directly with our in-house property management teams. I was not on their team necessarily. I was in a separate silo. And my job was to manage the manager in a sense, to hold them accountable to hitting the business plan that was before them. And my job was to draft the business plan, by the way. But my eyes were really open as to what they have to deal with day to day. It is a tough, tough job on the property management side. And the lenders generally don't see that, not the day-to-day stuff. And the institutional asset managers, when I was doing that at, at GE, I wasn't made aware of all the issues that they come up with. But as an asset manager, when I was with these two large firms, one of the jobs was to see the capital plans. I just mentioned required repairs, right? Post-closing, you have a list of required repairs that you have to get done within a certain amount of time. One of my jobs was to work alongside the construction management team, make sure those were done, communicate with the lender. Anytime there were some sticky situations, and luckily there were few, but anytime we had some sticky situations in the way, say, of a debt service coverage hurdle, you know, an upcoming maturity, I had to get involved and work with the servicer, work with the bank itself, the loan officer. So that really helped me to understand both sides of the business. And then from that angle, I feel like I can resonate with my clients a little bit better, especially the early stage investors. It's an opportunity for me to be able to be a little bit of a coach post-close on the asset management side. You know, what's the best strategies for communicating with your investors? How do you draft a solid business plan? What do you think about when you're approving budgets? 
what's the best strategy for monitoring the asset and driving it to performance? Weekly meetings, monthly meetings, what should be included with those? And how hard do you push your property management teams? A lot of different things that I feel like I can bring to my clients that beforehand I probably would not have been able to. No, that's a great thought. You know, well, why don't we spend a minute or two there on just that, drafting that business plan? I think that can really help the listener and myself as you're acquiring a new asset. Really, you know, as you're developing the plan, it helps you to think through different parts of the property that maybe you haven't thought of before, right? Or things you're going to have to put into place. Why don't you just spend a little time there and let's discuss just that business plan more in depth? Sure. So there's a, a business plan that's drafted at the beginning of the investment before you close. And then there's another business plan annually that's done. And this is the way that we operated. I imagine most larger shops operate in the same method, but you, you draft an annual business plan. And that's meant to frame the discussion or frame the upcoming budget, right? So the property management teams generally will prepare a budget for you to approve. And the business plan is an opportunity for you to put that in front of them and say, these are the guidelines I would like to see you draft the budget. So rent growth, expense growth, any initiatives that you're planning to take. Most of us, a good number of us are involved in value add. So you want in that business plan to say, I want to see, I'm going to throw it out a number, 60 units completed in the year. And we're going to average X number per month. We want to keep the cost to Y and we want to see premiums equal Z. <laughs> so you spell it out. It's generally a known thing, but you put it on paper and you identify it. The same way, if you have any large capital initiatives, you want to make sure those are get done in a timely manner by a certain date. So it's not good enough just to say you want to do a seal stripe in 2021. You want to make sure that's done before the cold weather arrives. And so this on everyone's radar, this can get bid out and executed by, say, in here in Georgia by October. So things like that, you know, you want to keep it succinct too. You don't want to have four pages. I like to challenge people to keep it to one page keep it to bullet points. There's no need for a book, but it's something that again, just sets the framework for the budget. Yeah. You know, I think that's helpful right there. Just saying, keep it to one page and some bullet points, you know, where it doesn't have to be this like big magazine, right? Professional and laid out very well, easy to mm -hmm. understand, but it's just great to think through those things. And like I said, even putting dates, having that plan, I just, it's just crucial to, you know, the property performing like you expect, you know, so you continue to pay out like you're supposed to and you're on top of things and you're ready to tackle issues as they come up. But just thinking through the asset management piece as well, you know, anything else, like even after closing, you know, from the lender's perspective that you like to see operators doing outside of a business plan, you know, the communication with you yeah. about how the assets performing, anything like that. Communication is huge. It really is. That's one thing I did when I was an asset manager. So, and again, I challenge everyone to think of third, say a, an asset manager for a large shop, they're acting as the GP. If you're a, someone who owns one, two, three, or going to own a property, you are the asset manager as a GP. So communication is really key with the lenders. When COVID came along, we had one asset down near the coast in Fort Lauderdale, actually uh, Pompano Beach, just north of Fort Lauderdale. And Broward County was hit pretty hard. And so the loan officer was out of Charlotte and I gave him a call proactively. So I just want to let you know, we're staying on top of things. We are monitoring our collections on a daily basis. Things are actually pretty strong. We're encouraged. He had not even reached out to me yet, you know, and so he was so appreciative of that. And that helps set the tone for your lender and GP relationship for when bad things can happen, right? So that's, if you can develop that relationship early on and be communicative, that's really a big plus. 
You know, I like asking every guest, especially people on your seat, you know, as a lender, just about how you like to see people prepare for a downturn. You know, as you're looking at deals right now, you know, in the current market, you know, what do you like to see there? You know, what's different now than maybe it was a year ago that you like to see that says, okay, this operator, you know, is prepared for, say, the unexpected? Yeah. So, and that's one thing I'd say, coming back from asset management days, expect the unexpected, especially multifamily, you're dealing with people and people are a messy business and it will happen. I would say stay liquid. And what I mean by that, that's a simple answer, right? I mean, it's just common sense. Have cash reserves. Even in the best of times, I ran into half a million dollar issues on my sites, you know, whether it's elevator issues or lift station issues, just a number of things can come up, termites, right? You want to have, well, our general rule of thumb was two months of operating expenses in reserves in your operating account. You don't want to be scrounging around each month or each quarter, depending on your distributions, you know, scurrying around looking for money to pay your investors, only be left kind of cash poor at the property because the unexpected will happen. That's the biggest piece of advice I could give. Yeah, have those cash reserves. I know I've talked about it numerous times on the show. I, I feel like we have an extremely large reserve budget when we're doing a deal. And, and I've had people say, oh, that's too big or it hurts returns, you know, things like that. It, it might affect returns a little bit, but I'd say what we closed a project in March, the week before the country shut down. And you know what? After that happened, nobody's saying anything about that big reserve. But <laughs> you know, they're happy that we have it. Thankfully, we haven't had to use it, haven't missed any distributions, things like that. But I'm thankful that we have it. Right? Yeah. I'm so thankful that it's there because we, you know, nobody expected this pandemic or you know all this stuff to happen. But you know, anything. Are there any ways that you've seen that structure? You said two months of operating expenses, you know, in reserves. Uh, have you seen operators do anything else or ways that they calculate how much we should have in a reserve budget? I know it's going to change versus, you know, different classes of properties maybe or how heavy the lift is as far as the value add, things like that. But any kind of calculation or anything there that you've seen people do to say, okay, this is how we know how much we need. No, that's really the primary method I've seen in the two shops I've been a part of. It's really measured off the number of, it, of uh, the amount of expenses. But, you know, I, and I mentioned two months. That was something that we, that was a rule of thumb we did pre-COVID, right? So it might, you know, behoove you to have a little bit higher mindset on that, you know, maybe three months. I don't know what the right number is. I mean, I think it's going to vary asset to asset, right? I mean, if you're at a class C type property and you're really concerned with your collections, you might have a bigger problem than the class A, double A property where you have better credit. So it's going to be asset to asset. One thing I would encourage everyone to do as well is, it, and it's easy to do this, when you run into cash issues, don't immediately go to the capital reserve, right? That money should be set aside for those needs because those are real needs. You know, it's kind of like Robin Peter to pay Paul. I'm going to take from capital reserves and then things are going to get better. We're going to replenish the capital reserve rarely happens because in most cases, there may have been a miss in the underwriting and you're just not, your property is just not generating the cash on cash that you thought it was going to be because there may have just been a miss. So don't rob Peter to pay Paul. Just rely, I'd say, to stack up some cash at the property in reserve. One other thing, Whitney, I would, I would mention on that, think about having a separate account. Think about this with your own personal finances. You don't necessarily want a million dollars in your operating account. You want to set aside, say, $500,000 of that into a separate account held at your bank, an internal account, whatever you want to call it, money that you can immediately get to if you need to, but it's not there to be spent on, you know, if 
put another way, if it's sitting in a separate account, you know the balance, right? You're not having to guess every month and it's set aside for a specific emergency. So Clay, from your experience, what do you expect to happen in the next six to 12 months just in the real estate market? I know no one has a crystal ball, but I just love to ask you know, people with your level of experience. Well, I think more deals are coming out and we're not seeing any shying away of interest in multifamily. So you know, I think you're still going to see cap rates at historic lows, whether or not they'll continue to compress a little bit. I kind of doubt that. We're seeing the treasury tick up recently from 60 basis points. Now today, as we record this, I think it's about 1.1%. So I'm not a believer that cap rates can compress that much more, but I think there is plenty of liquidity in the market, both on the debt side and investor interest. So I think that's going to continue. You have, again, their lenders thawing out a little bit and the agencies are still there lending. So a little bit more of the same, I think, from the third quarter, just more activity. Do you have any daily habits that you are disciplined about that have helped you achieve success? So one of my beliefs, I think I thought about this and I don't believe I'm there yet. And I don't know that I'll ever believe that I'm there yet. So I think that's one thing that kind of continues to push me in a sense is kind of resetting the bar. One thing that I do more routine is I am an early morning person as well. I hear people saying 4.30. I'm not a 4.30 guy. I'm probably more 5.30. I get up and I make a point to spend time in prayer. And then also uh, kind of resetting myself for the day, for the week, planning out. I'm a big believer in the one thing, the book. I've listened to that two or three times over the past six months. And putting that into practice, looking at my annual goals each day down to the quarterly, monthly, daily resetting your daily goals and habits by the one thing has been a, a really good benefit. Well, on that note, what is the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Well, I think it was just that, just not saying that I'm there yet, resetting the bar. Mm. And, you know, for me to say I'm successful is to say that I've reached where I want to be. And so I'm not prepared to say that. I think I want to continue to move the bar. Like that, like that a lot. Are there any, any ways right now that are working really well to meet new investors, you know, just in your line of work? So I'm one of the new, I guess, members, if you will, of Clubhouse. That's taken off all of a sudden. By the time people listen to this, it may be all over the world. I don't know. But Clubhouse is a great app. It's, you know, it's Zoom, of course. Everyone's had to get get used to that. We're doing here at Old Capital. We're doing monthly speaker series, which I'd invite everyone to. They're fantastic. And a great, great spot to meet other aspiring GPs and existing GPs, limited partners who want to invest with you. So just the medium of technology has been astounding, has really filled the void. I am a people person. I love getting in front of people. I'm an extrovert. So I'm looking forward to being able to do that more often. But in the meantime, technology has really saved the day. How do you like to give back? So I guess a couple of ways. I'm pretty active in my church, but we have an officer and the deacon. And so we, we have a fund that we help people in need at the church through that fund. So I take up a case here and there every now and then and walk them through it. And we try to provide some help were needed. There's another area that I'm a board member of a group called Feeding the Homeless Project here in Atlanta. It's made up largely of real estate folks. I've been a part of it for a few years now, but our job is not monumental. We're not trying to cure homelessness or solve hunger necessarily. We meet weekly downtown Atlanta and pre-COVID and post-COVID, we cook a really large breakfast for the homeless. They line up, 150, 200 people will line up and be a part. And the whole idea really is just reminding them they have dignity and they're made in the image of God, just like I am and you are and everybody else. And so that's all we are. I mean, that's all we do, but it serves a great purpose and just simply giving us a time to connect with them and again, give them dignity. In the meantime, in COVID, we've been 
just preparing in the kitchen and, and delivering directly to people on the streets by way of driving around whatnot, but it's, it's still very rewarding. Clay, appreciate you giving back in that way. And just your time today as well, speaking through just the current lending environment, what's happened, things we should be thinking about and those reserves and the experience piece that may be an issue for some operators at the moment, you know, but then also uh, just from the lending perspective, that asset management piece and the business plan, some great tips there that you provided and staying liquid and those reserves. And so grateful for all that. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, happy to do that. And also I'll do that. And then I want to let you know, we talked about a business plan. I, I have a template. If anyone's interested, please feel free to reach out to me and can provide that. Just kind of gives, a, again, one pager. It's nothing fancy. Happy to provide that. You can call me at 678-357-2631. Or you could reach me on my email at callen at oldcapitallending.com. Or just uh, go to the website for oldlending.com and you'll see our profiles there. Awesome. That's a wrap, Clay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.